You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. I hope you're having a terrific week. As you know, on October 13th, Pope Francis canonized John Henry Newman. And one fact that you might not know about St. John Newman was his focus on education. Throughout his life, Newman had a real concern for education. He thought it was particularly important that lay faithful, not just clergy, have a strong understanding of the reasons the church taught what it did. Newman promoted various educational efforts, and this legacy has been preserved through his being named the patron saint of Catholic campus ministries at public universities all around the country. In fact, thousands, perhaps even millions of U.S. Catholics have experienced the formative years of their intellectual and spiritual development at Newman centers or college campuses, myself included. During my formative years on campus, it was the Newman Club that provided a spiritual home for me when I attended college. So we're grateful to St. John Newman for his legacy of educating and forming our young people in the faith. Now, speaking of education, let's get to work. This week is a special crossover episode with our sister show, Changing Our World, the podcast. Last week's episode of the CW Podcast featured interviews with inspiring leaders in Catholic education, including Matt Russell, Dr. Mary Jane Krebs, and Kathy Mears. Those interviews were conducted at this month's NCEA Seton Symposium, where our very own CEO, Brian Crimmins, delivered the keynote. Today is part two of our coverage of the event, and we'll be speaking with Jason Morrison, who's the Diocesan Secretary and Chief Executive Officer for Catholic Education in the Diocese of Scranton, and Mark Freund, the Executive Director of LaSallian Office of Education. So let's start with Gavin Mooney's interview with Jason Morrison. Jason leads the Office for Catholic Education in the Diocese of Scranton. He has a long and extensive background in Catholic education and advancement. He formerly served as VP of Operations at the Healy Education Foundation, Secretary for Stewardship and Development at the Diocese of Scranton, and he was the Executive Director for the Lackawanna Bar Association. Jason holds a Bachelor's from Villanova in Business Administration and an MBA from St. Joseph's University. And so, without further ado, here is Gavin Mooney and Jason Morrison. Well, uh, here we are at the NCA Symposium, and I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend, uh, Jason Morrison. Welcome, Jason. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Great to have you. Um, Jason, why don't, I mean, we're obviously learning a lot here at this symposium and a lot of innovative approaches that relates to Catholic education. Maybe, why don't we start off a little bit about your own background and involvement in Catholic education? Sure. Well, uh, I'm, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I work in the Diocese of Scranton. I'm the CEO for Catholic schools uh, in the Diocese of Scranton. We're actually about a little 15 months into a new uh Congrats. organizational model uh, in our diocese and you know our bishop has implemented implemented a new model that's really looking at diocesan offices differently um, and we're also unique in that we're a separately incorporated system for our 20 schools so it's not a parochial based model like a lot of schools across the country so we're you know um, have the opportunity to look at the business side a little bit differently of catholic education as well as academics we have uh, you know recently hired a superintendent who really is focused on the academic side and the uh, you know, the product side of what we do in, in Catholic schools and Catholic education. And that gives me the opportunity to look at a, a centralized finance approach um, and business model for our schools. So, you know, really aligns with everything that we're talking about here at the you know NCEA symposium, looking at different models, thinking about as we 
look towards the future of sustainability of Catholic schools and Catholic education? What can that look like? Because it's so different across the country. And when you think about, you know, what does that and what can it look like? It's just a lot of different approaches I think we really need to take into account. And Jason, you've obviously been involved um, from a professional perspective, working with Catholic schools across the nation for a long time. So the genesis of what you're doing in Scranton, is that as a result of learnings from across the nation in terms of best practice or? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. A lot of it is actually, you know, as we drive forward with a new vision in our diocese, a lot of it is looking back at some of the research um, and some of the things that not only NCEA has done and funded through the perceptions of Catholic education. You know, for example, within that research, you know, really outlined what families um, were looking at when they think about their educational choices. Um, so in the diocese, we are really taking a strong approach to enhancing and ensuring that our academic quality is the best uh, in the region. So we're investing a million dollars in uh, stream and um, stream education, which is really forward thinking cross-curricular um, and gets into all of the, the 21st century skills needed today, you know, for students to really be successful, not only in school, but beyond. You know, so it's really being driven by, you know, some of my experiences looking at different models of best practices across the country and then some of the research that NCEA and Vatica have done. Great. And streams of science, technology, religion, engineering, art, and math. Yes, is that what the definitely. Uh, acronym stands for? Um, why stream? Why is yeah. that the, the, the focus? So I think, you know, stream is really a, a, you know, a differentiator for all Catholic schools. You know, anybody can do STEM. Um, and I think a lot of our public schools, you know, in public school districts, we need strong schools looking at those skill sets and they're doing it. Some people have, you know, started the foray into STEAM, you know, so adding the arts component to really get through and start to think about working collaboratively and creatively, which are two really important skills, but nobody else can do stream. So we add the religion piece, which in today's society, you know, is needed now more than ever. I mean, we need socially responsible citizens that are looking at the complexity of the problems facing our society now and into the future. You know, I think a lot of our, you know, one of the speakers was talking about it earlier about the change coming from within. I think that's coming from within in Catholic education. We need that. But also in our society, you know, the change coming from within, you know, is really going to involve people thinking about not only the problems, but thinking about them in a socially responsible way. And we have the opportunity to be able to do that with the Catholic and our faith piece uh, with Christ as the best example for that. So obviously we have a lot of listeners who might be superintendent of schools, might be educators, uh, leadership within diocese. When you look at Catholic schools, both individually and in aggregate in terms of system of Catholic schools, we obviously have lots of opportunities, but but um, there are lots of challenges as well, financial, operational, et cetera, et cetera. What, was your, what would you advise in terms of your first steps mm -hmm. that either a diocese or a superintendent of school or school uh, representative or leadership to look under the hood and really understand um, how they can make a difference in terms of sustaining Catholic education. What, what recommendations or ideas do you have for those first initial steps that they can take um, to ensure the future viability of their It's a great question. I mean, I would say, you know, just as you alluded to, a lot of people are afraid to look under the hood. You have to look under the hood. Um, and you have to be comfortable with what's underneath the hood, and you have to be honest and open with you know, that there may be, as you said, there are, of course, challenges. Uh, you know, I think every one of those challenges is an opportunity. Um, you know, so how do we take that um, and turn that into an, an opportunity? You know, no different than even just going back to that research on perceptions of Catholic education. 
you know, I think perception is reality. What I say to our principals is we have the opportunity to change perception about what we are and how we become what we're going to do. So to do that, though, you got to take a look at really what's underneath that hood. And you have to, you know, I spent a lot of time when I first started, I went to every school. Um, I started talking to constituencies. I was talking to parents. I was talking to alumni, you know, and finding out what are what do they think about us? Um, we actually even mirrored that perceptions on a national level of Catholic education. I talked to uh, a few people in our work uh, in our area about, okay, well, let's take and see, does this research really even apply to us? A lot of people are going to say, oh, that's national research. It doesn't apply. So I said, let's take this and let's do our own research. And believe it or not, our own research mirrored exactly what the national research was saying. So, you know, I would say take that time to really look into that. But unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time. You know, I've I've said to... um, you know, to our principals and working with them is that we have to act with urgency. We have to execute and it's okay to fail. So let's try a couple of initiatives. You know, we, we've launched two big initiatives in our diocese. Some people might say, well, why don't you just do one yep. the first year, um, you know, of your work? And I said, well, we just don't have the luxury of time, you know, as everything is changing. So, you know, so challenge, you know, challenge yourself, take a look underneath that hood and really be honest. And if it's okay, if something's not great under there, you know, be honest about how you're going to approach it. And how you're going to fix it. You know, in a couple of our schools, to be honest with you, our, our test scores weren't great. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's okay. So let's take a, a, let's talk about that and see how we're going to change that and then move that forward. That's really what it's all about. And uh, this is a, this is a pilot, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the change in model yes. organizational structure, mm-hmm. albeit it's a pilot that you're implementing. Mm-hmm. So it's real, real time, but any successes, anything showing up that says, okay, this is this is the methodology, this is the right mm-hmm. structure for us in the diocese granted here, yeah. that evidence that it, it's going to work and you're moving in a positive, constructive direction? Yeah, I think um, we've certainly had a few successes early on. I mean, because we're a separately incorporated system, we can really take on the business side advantage of economies of scale. So we've actually, you know, while I don't think a cost-cutting approach is the way to save Catholic education. It is one approach when we looked at, you know, are there some wastes and some economies of scale that we can take advantage of through purchasing power? Absolutely, we've done that. You know, then on the academic side, you know, through some of these initiatives, I think the translation for us, you know, has been around enrollment and how we've marketed ourselves and what we're doing. We've been honest. We've said, here are the areas we really need to improve upon and here's how we're going to do it. So as it relates to enrollment, if that's a key indicator, I mean, it's 74.5% of our revenue for our schools, yeah. you know, and for our revenue pie, you know, so it's a huge piece. So the compound annual loss rate, loss rate prior to last year was about 4.2%. This year, while losing less is not a strategy, we lost just 1% of yeah. our student yeah. population. But if we can continue that trend, you know, it should in this year and then, you know, in future years really turn around and that'll have a big impact. So, you know, we're starting to see people really, you know, Rethink, you know, yes, Catholic education, there is a value. And yes, we want to be a part of this growing momentum. So I think, you know, to your question of, are we seeing some some signs of growth and progress? Absolutely. The challenge is we can't stop there. I mean, there's always, you know, I think in today's society, and I'm a parent, Gavin, you're a parent, you know, we think about how are we constantly proving? And that is a challenge in education because it is, is very dynamic and it is a competitive marketplace. So how do we improve upon that? And we have... Even in our area, we have great public schools, and that's a great thing. I mean, kids deserve a great education, whether that's public school, charter school, or Catholic school. I think we have a differentiator in that Catholic and that religion and identity piece that our society needs. So that's why I choose to work in this in this space. But 
you know, it's it's really an important thing that we need to really work on and have it continue to grow. So so I'm excited for the opportunities and it's great to, you know, have NCEA, you know, looking at a global, um, you know, on a global scale, how do we tackle this um, this issue of Catholic education and ensure, you know, that it sustains and grows, you know, for the next couple hundred years. Amen to that, Jason. Well, thank you. Best of luck Thanks. in the Diocese Scranton Thanks. and look forward to keeping in touch to hear how, yeah. you know, everything shakes out. Obviously, yeah. there might be some learnings here that we can be replicated across yeah. the country. So um, we'll let you get back to the conference. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Gavin. Appreciate Thanks for it. all you guys doing, changing our world to be a partner in this. Thanks, Jason. We want to thank Jason for being on our show this week. Next, we have an interview with Mark Freund. Mark is the Executive Director of LaSallian Education. Mark is representing LaSallian Education at the national and international levels, and he oversees activities designed to serve ministries in the LaSallian region of North America. Mark is a lifelong Catholic and a native of Baltimore, Maryland, and he formerly served as principal of Pope John Paul II High School in Boca Raton, Florida. Mark brings more than 30 years' experience as a teacher and administrator in Catholic schools. Mark was interviewed a couple of weeks ago by Changing Our World's Managing Director, Caitlin McTeague. And so without further ado, here's their conversation. All right, so I'm joined here by Mark Freund, who's the Executive Director for the Office for LaSallian uh, Education. And um, we're excited to be here at the NCEA Seton Awards Gala. So it's been a great day learning about, you know, some of some of the challenges for Catholic education and who better to speak to the challenges and opportunities for Catholic education um, than Mark here. So, Mark, I'd love to start with just hearing a bit about the history and the ministry of the Christian Brothers. Fantastic. The brother we call the formal name is the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools. We were founded in France in the late 17th century in 1680 by uh, a gentleman who was made the patron saint of all educators, all teachers in 1950, St. John Baptist de La Salle. Raised in a wealthy family, he became a priest, and as was the tradition at a fairly young age, was appointed canon of the cathedral in his town. And a chance encounter led him to become involved with the education of poor young children. He worked with a number of female religious congregations that educated girls. The brothers inherited the job of educating boys, and the tradition then became one of adapting to the realities of the times. Lasallians have been known historically as adapting to the realities of changing times. One of the things that Jean-Baptiste de Lasalle saw was that he needed to present a living and human face of church to those entrusted to his care. So the brothers became that, that face. The very use of the term brother was highly intentional. My brother Morris taught me German in high school. It wasn't mis- it wasn't brought brother Boulet. It wasn't you know something else. It was my brother Morris. My my brother uh, Rene was a great mentor to me when I was starting out teaching. Our brother Robert is the superior general of the brothers of the Christian schools. And we are a relational group of people, both those who are within the congregation, those who are living in professed life, and those of us who are lay partners to Lasallians globally. Today, we're present in uh, just about 80 countries worldwide. 
On any given day, we will touch the hearts and minds of approximately one million students, who, students, young adults who are entrusted to our care. That is amazing. And, you know, each order, and you touched on this a bit, sort of has its unique charism. We've heard that, you know, the Christian Brothers are a teaching order. You know, talk to me a little bit more about what LaSallian education stands for and how it's different from some of the orders that are out there today. Well, we think that all of our brothers and sisters in other congregations have a way of touching the hearts of the students that that they work with. And ours is, is built on the notion and the fundamental concept of relationship. Our goal, our mission, if you will, our reason for existence is to provide a human and Christian education to the young, especially the poor. So we begin with with that as as our touchstone for for the work that we do. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle was was key about the centrality of mission, or I should say the, the singularity of mission. We are a teaching community of men and women. The brothers of the Christian schools were founded as teachers. De La Salle founded the first, what we would call today, teacher training institute, a teacher's college in France to to teach these men who were who were coming with him how to teach, not only what to teach, but how to teach, how to communicate, how to relate. So one of our touchstones has been innovation. Uh, Over the course of our history, we've been innovators in education, leading the way from the notion of even having all of the students in a classroom concentrating on one fundamental task at a time, and, and not often the little clusters of things that may or may not be going on in the little schools of France. So one of the touchstones is is innovation. Another touchstone is our fundamental reliance on the centrality of the presence of God. We believe that God is present in our classrooms. We believe that God is present in the young men and women whom it is our honor to to serve in our ministry. It is a part of our prayer. It is a part of our Catholic faith that we do that. We believe in providing an outstanding education to those who are entrusted to our care. I, I don't know that you'll find a brother's school that isn't viewed as extremely strong uh, in those areas that it serves. We believe in having a concern for the poor and for social justice. So our students will be active and involved in service. We also believe in, in having a community that is inclusive of all. I will take a line from what I'm told is a former Cardinal Archbishop of Baltimore and, and change it up a little bit and say, you know, we, we, we teach all not because we are, not because they're Catholic. We teach all because we're Catholic. And more importantly, in many ways in this conversation, we teach them all because we're Lasallian. So you'll find Lasallians educating young people in Africa, both French and English-speaking Africa. You'll find Lasallians educating young people in Pakistan. You'll find Lasallians teaching and educating young people in Southeast Asia. Uh, you'll find anywhere there is a need, you, you, may, you will probably find Lasallians educating uh, young men and women. That's great. And you mentioned the centrality of of God as part of the charism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my father was educated by the Christian brothers in high school and college. um, And he actually has a plaque in his house um, that I believe might have been a gift from you (laughs) um, that says, live Jesus in our hearts forever. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about the significance of that prayer? Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, and forgive me if I'm using half French and half English with his name, it was, it's a carryover from four years of a brother's education in, in high school. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle was a prolific writer, a brilliant writer in many ways. And one of the gifts we have as a result of a lot of work is we have translations of the texts that he wrote. Now, one of the 
citations, one of the uh, scripture citations he's fond of using, particularly in the medita- his meditations, is from Galatians. And the line is, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And you'll find him, him citing that on numerous, okay, I'll say numerous and won't do, do the count. Live Jesus in our hearts forever is a line that goes back to the early brothers' communities. And again, it depends on which biographer you read and which version of the biography you read. But it is a call to community. It is a call to community in Christ. It is a call to community in faith. There is one biographer who will say that it was traditional in the earliest brothers' communities for, as the brothers were awakening, one brother to say, live Jesus in our hearts, and the other brothers on the floor, in the room, and the, on the level, whatever it was, to say and respond forever. You'll find that, that line to be near and dear and something that a LaSallean graduate, not unlike your dad, will always remember as they move forward from whatever years. And your dad was a brother's boy from the old days, both at, in school and, I believe, at Manhattan College, mm-hmm. which was our first institution of higher education. In the world. So we're very proud of, of Manhattan in a lot of ways, especially because it was the first LaSallean College University in the world. That's amazing. So we talked a bit about you know living out the values and living in community. We spoke today at the symposium about the importance of marketing and mm-hmm. messaging and getting, you know, the word out about, you know, these great Catholic schools. How do you, you know, get the word out about your schools? What type of messaging do you use and what platforms? We have more than 60 schools in the United States alone. Uh, we have six colleges and universities. And uh, if you were to add all of them up, and, and talk to them, you would find 60-some-odd different approaches, strategies, and messages. A couple things will come forward, always an emphasis on our core principles, the ones I mentioned earlier. You'll always find an, uh, an emphasis, I believe, on our Catholic, on our shared Catholic faith. Not that our students are Catholic, not that our students are going to be converted to being Catholic, but the fact that we are called to do that which it is we do, not just because it may be important, and it is, but because we are doing it within the light of the faith uh, that the church gives us. Our job is to serve the church and to serve the mission of the church. So the messaging that goes out, I think, is one that reinforces an outstanding education. It, in, it, it, it reinforces accessibility of that education because you can build the best school in the world if you can't afford to have students go to it or if students can't afford to attend it. It, it's just a temple. It's it's just a, an empty room uh, that that doesn't really do any good to society or to the young people whom we're called to serve. Uh, so one of the things you'll find in our messaging is that is that accessibility. You'll also find an access. You'll also find um, I think a common theme on inclusion and on relationships, the relationships that are built during school years, the relationships that are built during secondary school years, the relationships that can be built in college and university years, and the relationships that are built with, with people whom they t- who, who touch their hearts, who, who touch their minds, the teachers, professors, those who serve in those places. Yeah. So talk to me a bit more about the relationships in your own personal experience, you know, through Christian brother Mm -hmm. brother education Mm -hmm. that touched your heart and brought you to where you are today as the executive director. (laughs) (laughs) I fell in love with the brothers when I was a high school student. I grew up in in a town in Baltimore where there are two Catholic high schools in our part of town that people in my grade school traditionally would go to. 
and coincidentally, it's one of the nation's oldest Thanksgiving Day football rivalries mm. between the Jesuit Preparatory School in Baltimore, Loyola Blakefield, and Calvert Hall, the first Christian Brothers, permanent Christian Brothers ministry in the United States. So I fell in love with the brothers as a high school student way too many years ago for me to even mention here. But I still go back those days. I think I not only learned the elements of history and math and religion and all the other subjects that I took. I think that the best teacher I've ever had in my life was a brother that was a member of the community who taught German in those years. I think that the relationships and the model of relationship that was built and modeled by the teachers and brothers, both the, the, uh, the LaSallian partners, the teachers, the lay teachers, as we might call them, uh, and the brothers, really stuck with me. When I got out of college and I went to work for the arch rival across the other side of Towson, I was blessed. I was, uh, you know, other than, the, other than the good-natured ribbing that would go from both sides, you know, the alumni friends, my, my alumni friends, and my friends at Blakefield, I was blessed to, to learn a different way of looking at teaching and, and interacting, and it was a good one. And, and again, I have no criticisms. But what sticks with, stuck with me with the brothers, and it stuck with me through my years even working in diocesan ministries, was the centrality of relationship. Mm. And it was the relationship that you built with the individual, with the young person, in whatever circumstance that it was. You don't stand there and scream and yell if you're the principal of the school at someone who did something wrong. You try to figure out what it was and how you can best go forward in a pastoral way, whatever mm. the end result might have to be. So I think that, that the relationships that I built with teachers and staff, I'm still friendly with teachers who taught me more years ago than I would care to count. <laughs> and we still find that even in our 40th reunion, uh, which was a wonderful party a couple of years ago, we not only were blessed to have the brother president of the school with us, and as well he would, you know, it's an alumni event, it's something you would expect, but to have five or six teachers who taught us in the 1970s come back to, to share time with us, I think speaks very well to the charism of the mm. brothers, the Christian schools, and the Salian family schools in these United States. Definitely. The longevity is, is really remarkable, and it's, it's certainly um, very special, I think, to the Christian brothers, which is amazing. We have, uh, you know, the tagline, every, every organization that does a marketing study or a branding project comes up with a tagline. And I hate using, using it, to mm. be perfectly blunt, uh, because it, you know, taglines always tend to sound artificial, but in, in a very real sense, ours is accurate. We've been transforming lives since 1680. Right. And, uh, and it's a ministry that we, we relish and, and cherish, and we, we go forward with every day of the week. That's amazing. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit okay. and talk about <clears throat> fundraising, oh. which from a changing our world perspective is definitely, you know, our bread and butter, mm -hmm. what we do and a focus of, of the symposium uh, here today. But I would love to talk about, you know, what are you hearing from the schools within your network or what is, what are some of the challenges that they're facing as far as fundraising? I think any time the economy is in a state of transition, you know, we, we've gone, we've had a good run for a number of years. The economy has been booming for the last, booming, you know, it's been, it's been strong for the last three years or so. So folks are, are comfortable and, and they're seeing their performance being sound. In a down market or in a down economic downturn, it gets a little more challenging because you're faced with a double-edged sword 
a philanthropic giving, a, a potentially lower philanthropic giving, combined with lower potential enrollment, both because of demographics and because of parent employment and perceived affordability. We will always go out of our way to help. But you have to have, you know, you have to be able to engage the conversation with mom and dad. So it's a two-edge. You know, the economy is one of the things that drives it. So in many ways, we've been blessed for the last several years, mm. especially. The other thing that I'm hearing is that we're doing it differently. There used to be a time more years ago, again, than I would care to count, where you would send out the, the bulk mailing for the annual fund. And you would just sort of wait for the checks to come in. Well, that, that worked for a couple of years. But now it's much more intimate. It's much more personal. It's much more relational. Our chief executives, our presidents, if you will, and our president principals in the schools that have a single head, and even principals in schools that have both are out there working the crowd as well, are spending more and more time working with various constituency groups, whether it be parents, past parents, uh, how do you engage them and want to keep them engaged in the mission of the school, you know, and help us support? How can we help you do that? Can you help us continue to do what it is we do? Engagement with alumni has become critical. And really, really engaging alumni not only in the ask, you know, we want your money, but it really is an ask for three different things. We're not only asking for your treasure, we're asking for your time, and more importantly, in many ways, we're asking for your talent because our, our alumni have helped us to build some of the most dynamic programs that are now drawing students to some of our schools. I think of some of our schools where alumni involvement in things like robotic programs and technology programs has been so critical to get those programs off the ground and to keep those programs sustained. So I think our chief executives are, are focused not only on the dollars in, mm. but I know they're also focused on the dollars out. Mm. Uh, because a dollar that you don't spend is a dollar you don't have to raise, either through tuition or through philanthropy. Right. So I think it's you know showing responsible care, being good stewards of the resources to which we've been entrusted is a major part of what our presidents and principals and all members of our ministries, all associates in our ministries do every day. We want to be good stewards. We want to build a sustainable ministry. We want a sustainable educational enterprise within changes that may be coming down the road in resource levels. And I love how the, the relational charism carries through perfectly in into fundraising, but, you know, in, in, everything. in everything. Absolutely. When my grandmother died, when my, when my mom's mom passed away, was mm. the, uh, and when my, when my mom's dad passed away 20 years later, there were brothers who either reached out and called or who stopped by the funeral home. Um, they didn't have to do that. But they did it. We're certainly not major donors in terms of, you know, five-figure giving on an annual basis. But the brothers made sure that we knew that we were in the thoughts and prayers of those. Uh, those who knew my mom when she was an active parent at Calvert Hall and those who had associated and worked with me uh, when I was teaching in the Baltimore area. That's amazing. <laughs> generational. I it is that. truly a generational enterprise. So one other question about fundraising, mm -hmm. you know, the vitality of Catholic schools has definitely been, you know, topic mm -hmm. of discussion today and throughout other, other cohorts of meetings. But how is the Office for LaSallean Education and the Christian Brothers, how are they committed to ensuring the vitality of Christian Brothers schools, um, which ultimately plays into that bigger question? All of our schools are either 
part of a board structure. So they may be there. We have canonically sponsored school schools that are sponsored by one of our constituent provinces or districts. And we also support some schools and work with schools that are diocesan in, in nature, such as John Paul in Florida that you had mentioned in a conversation earlier. Great school down in Boca Raton that does a wonderful job of teaching and, and addressing the mission. All of our schools need to be able to exhibit to their publics, their constituents, the uniquely Lasallian nature, what distinguishes them from the school down the street. It's the non-Lasallian Catholic high school down the street or elementary school, K to 8, or the other religious school that might be down the street or the public school that might be down the street. One of the, the marketing lines I've heard from some of our charter friends is, you know, we're just like so-and-so but without tuition. Well, no, no, you really aren't because there's the whole God thing that just can't be talked about. So OLA, the Office for LaSallean Education, works to provide support for those who work in our ministries. The, the people who labor, the people who teach, the people who administer uh, formation programs. And we emphasize the uniquely Lasallian characteristics that go into making those schools unique. So we, we, we make sure folks have the tools they need to understand the, the traditional approach to pedagogy, Lasallian. Mm-hmm. How do you teach? What's it look like to teach or to be taught in a Lasallian school? The history of the brothers, the Christian schools that have shaped us to becoming where we, to, to be where we are today. Having just, fi- we're just finishing the uh, 300th anniversary of the passing of the founder into eternal life. We're at one of those moments again in history when, 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 when the founder died, the brothers looked at each other and said, oh dear, what do we do now? 300 years later, we're still doing that because the brothers better than anyone, I think, in, in Catholic education understand that the times change constantly and the realities change constantly. The other thing we like to provide is, is some evidence and, and work on spirituality. How do we deliver a, a program that is truly grounded in our Catholic faith within our Lasallian tradition within that Catholic faith? How do we always remember that we are truly in the holy presence of God is at the core of what it is we do in that area of work every day. Great. So for my final question, I know each year you bring together the principals and the presidents of these LaSallian mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about you know the upcoming conference in February, what's going to happen, and, and what usually is the fruit of that effort? The February conference is geared towards our secondary school chief administrators. The uh, one thing you learn in the LaSallian world is we never escape the opportunity to invent an acronym. So LASCA, as we call it. If I slur it, my wife thinks I'm going north in February. <laughs> it's not Alaska, it's LASCA. Uh, it's a conference, really, it's to, to allow these folks who are really under uh, the proverbial gun. These are the folks who have to make sure the budgets are met. These are the folks who have to pay the bills to keep the lights on, who have to work with teachers to ensure that students are being taught well. These are the folks who, to paraphrase the writings of the founder, uh, are responsible for ensuring that their school runs well. February is a time for them, first of all, to to relate with each other together and by association. It's a chance for them to come together to rekindle old friendships and to make new ones with people who are new in the family. So that's the first thing that, that the event does. The second thing that the event does is it provides us an opportunity to 
um, feature speakers that really come from ideas surfaced through the chief administrators. We've been blessed to have people like Karen Eifler uh, from the Garaventis Center speak to, to our folks. We had Tom Garland, the former CEO of Avis Budget Group, who's affiliated with a number of our schools in the Twin Cities area. Uh, be able to speak to our group. We've had brother uh, brother Robert Sheeler, our superior general, speak admittedly by Skype uh, to our group. We've had leaders in faith, leaders in business, leaders in marketing, uh, we leaders in higher education. Um, so we also then go out from there to engage our our principals and presidents. Uh, with opportunities for breakout sessions where they can learn more about the details of topics that are of immediate interest to them, whether it be fundraising, capital campaign design, um, development audits, and, and tools that they can use to prep for things like that. Uh, we provide opportunities for them in Lasallian pedagogy, Lasallian spirituality, and Lasallian history. Basically, we, we respond to what it is they perceive there needs to be. And the third thing we like to do is we like to have the opportunity for our folks to engage with a number of supporters and vendors who support our conference and who can become key players in ensuring the success of, uh, of our schools when our schools are working on specific projects or engaging in continuing things uh, designed to do their jobs better and more productively. So we, we work in all three ways to bring our secondary chief admins together and to send them home. They'll gather on a Sunday evening after a long day of travel. We'll have mass. Uh, we'll have a little wine and wisdom, as we call it. And we'll have the opportunity to reconnect. And then by the time we leave on Wednesday, they'll have had a, a very busy two and a half full days of, of, of interaction, association, and learning. Amazing. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak. It was a pleasure speak. to be yes, here. This it's has wonderful been fun. to have you. Please give your mom and dad my best. <laughs> I will. And yes, we will have, and in our tradition, we'll end with two things if I can. Of course. Okay. In our tradition, we the first thing we say at the end of the classroom meeting is St. John Baptist de La Salle, and the response is pray for us. Mm. And the second we say is live Jesus in our hearts, and the response is forever. forever. So live Jesus in our hearts forever. forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mark. I want to thank Jason Morrison and Mark Freund for being on our show this week. I'll be sure to post links to each of these great men on our show notes on the website. And I also want to thank Gavin and Caitlin for being on our show, and we hope that you enjoyed our first ever crossover episode with Changing Our World, the podcast. And just a reminder, you can find both of our podcasts by visiting changingourworld.com and click on podcast. You can also subscribe to both of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. And next week, we'll be featuring interviews with participants of the International Catholic Stewardship Conference in Chicago. I hope you'll join us. If you'd like more information about our podcast, please visit us at AdvancingOurChurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at ChangingOurWorld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.